say the game is getting old Monday morning and your coffee's cold Life is not what you want Hello everyone and welcome to A New Direction. My name is Jay Izzo and oh man, it is another great show. And I can say that with such confidence and I'll tell you why I can say it with such confidence. First of all, you get a great guest. It's going to be a really dynamic show. You get a great book with a great guest and you know it's going to be an awesome show. Well, that's what I got. I have Dan Moore with me today. Uh, he wrote this book. Uh, by the way, have you ever wanted to be in the CIA? Have you ever? I mean, I, I mean, I, I know I can't speak for. I do. Guess what? You're going to get to be into the CIA. Whoa, 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 Jay, whoa, whoa. I'm not. This is, this is not a political show. No, it's not. But it's called control, influence, except parentheses FN, close parentheses, right? CIA for now, except control, influence, except for now. Uh, coping with the future no one can predict, let's be honest with each other. Uh, we live in a world that is extremely unpredictable. Uh, oftentimes we have said it's volatile, uncertain, right, in a lot of different ways. So what can we control? What can we influence? What do we need to accept for now before we can move on? Well, Dan Moore is going to help us walk through this. But before we get to him, let's do what we do every week, right? We are four-part people. And uh, the fact of the matter is we are physical, mental, emotional, spiritual people. If we are not working on ourselves every day, uh, the truth is if we're not growing, we're dying <laughs> because we don't stay static. So we got to be working ourselves every day. So here's how it works. So I have you evaluate yourself on a scale of one to 10, one being in any particular area, you go, Ugh. 10 being, oh, it can't get any better. So for instance, physically. How would you evaluate yourself in terms of getting enough exercise, eating right, drinking enough water, getting enough sleep, five being average? All right. Now, listen, before you go, oh, God, I think I'm only a two. It's okay. All right. This isn't about the outcome. This is about improving your performance. All right. So if you're at a two, okay, we got a starting point. You know, what can we get to do to get to a 2.5? We don't have to get to a 10. Let's just get to a 2.5, right? It, and it could be something so simple, you know, maybe you need to just get out and take a walk a little bit more often. Maybe, you know, you could put the bag of chips away, you know, maybe drop the sodas. It could be something so simple that can just get you that next level, right? But find something simple that you can move to the next level. If you happen to be a seven, well, then what happens is you can, uh, you know, you can't move as fast up. So you have to do things like maybe go to a 7.25. And those tweaks become a little more difficult, right? But you can always get better. All right, so that's your first number. The second number is your intellectual mental lumber, right? And we cannot sit on a couch, absorb information, and hope that somehow magically we're going to become more wise and have more knowledge and more understanding. We have to be an active participant in our knowledge and wisdom and understanding and growth and our intellectual growth. How do we do that? Well, I'll tell you, here's a great way. Read a book. <laughs> this is a pretty good one to start with. Why don't you start reading a book? But you know what? There's things that you could do to grow your mind and your wisdom. I mean, how are you growing in in what you do, in 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 what you in where you're where you're doing your work? Being a better parent. Maybe maybe you're, you're a parent. Maybe be a better parent. Maybe better better spouse. Maybe maybe it's it's being better at your work. Maybe it's being better just as a human being. What are you learning to grow? And remember, we're two half brains, right? We got we're right brain, left brain, right? We got the creative side on the right side. We got the left side that's logical, right? I mean, what are you doing to exercise both halves of the brain? You know, learn a foreign language. That's pretty cool. You know what? Take up a foreign, take up an instrument. That's pretty cool. All those things contribute to your intellectual and mental growth. So on a scale of one to ten, how would you say you're doing? All right, the third area is the emotional area. And then listen. I I have a huge fan. You know, on the show, I'm a huge fan of Daniel Goleman, right? I mean, if there's anybody who's who's ever written more on an emotional intelligence and emotional quotient, Daniel Goleman, in my mind, has done so much. And you know, we break this down into really two areas. All right, they want you to evaluate emotionally. First is how well are you able to control your emotions under stress and pressure? Right. I mean, one of the things that we don't, we don't, we kind of don't think about often is that we have control over our emotions. 
that we can control them, that we don't have to be dictated by others or circumstances on how we feel. And, and Daniel Gold makes it so clear, right, that what we can do is that if we can reframe it, if we can see it in a different way, if we choose a different way of thinking about it and looking at it, we can control the way we react to something, right? And then the second part is how well are you able to tap into and understand the emotions of another human being? Ooh, that one goes deeper. Because quite often we're not very good listeners. A. And then B, the other problem is that we don't have a good enough emotional vocabulary to really be able to understand the nuances of someone else's emotions. And we either oversimplify or we overcomplicate. But it is absolutely critical to building relationships with others to understand the emotions of someone else. So on a scale of one to ten, combining those two things, how would you say you're doing emotionally? And then finally, spiritually. And Dan talks about this a little bit in his book. You know, you know, we all live by faith. Whether you want to believe it or not, we all live by faith. We, you, you woke up this morning, you drank your cup of coffee, you believed it wasn't poisonous, you turned the, your key in your car, and or you pushed your button, you believed it would start, you saw the walk sign that said walk, and you believed the cars weren't going to run you over as you crossed through the crosswalk. We, we live by faith. You probably made plans for the future, believing that they're going to happen, and they and you believe that they will. But the other thing is that there's the spirit inside of us that desires to connect with something bigger than ourselves. There is the human spirit that has a desire to be bigger, to move beyond where we are. And then in the middle of chaos, and in the middle of circumstances, what can bring you back to centeredness and peace? That's usually something spiritual, whether that be God or nature, or, you know, meditation. The first question is, is, you know, how's that working for you? And the second question is, what are you going to do about changing it? So what would you give for yourself for a score there? Those four numbers are like the air in the tires of your car. Right? If one of the air in the tires of your car is a little low, what happens? Well, the car veers. It makes it more difficult to steer. If all four tires are low, then what happens? Right? Well, what inevitably happens is uh, we, we, the car will get ruined over the course of time. And, and so what we want to do is we want to bring all those up. And um, I'm going to take a second here because I've got a little bit of an issue going on, but let me pull it up. His name is Dan Moore. And let me tell you about Dan because Dan uh, is a New Mexico native, born and raised in Los Alamos. Dan began his career in 1974 with the Southwestern Advantage Sales and Leadership Program while attending Harvard University. Uh, Dan paid his tuition by selling Southwestern Vantage products door-to-door. Upon graduating from Harvard with honors at the age of 20, Dan was promoted to district sales manager, and he continued his academic success by obtaining his MBA from Owen Graduate School of Management, Vanderbilt University, where he was honors graduate and class speaker. Uh, among other roles with Southwestern Family Companies, he served as uh, the vice president of marketing, and then he was named uh, president of Southwest Advantage, where he served until he was retired in 2023. Uh, and then over the course of his 49-year career, Dan has trained over 100,000 people on how to lead, sell, and achieve their goals. His greatest advice for students is have a why that's focused on a cause that's bigger than yourself. He's a frequent lecturer at colleges and universities across North America and Europe, and he's traveled to 59 countries. He has served as an adjunct faculty member at Owen Graduate School of Business and has hosted TEDx Nashville. And like me, uh, I have to say, it's what kind of kindred spirit, Dan plays guitar and piano. Uh, and he prioritizes his health, fitness, and yoga, and he's married to his lovely wife, Maria, and they both live in now in Nashville, Tennessee. So ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the show and welcome uh, to A New Direction for the first time, Dan Moore. Dan, welcome. Thank you, Coach Jay. Great to be here with you. All right. So I uh, love the book. Let's dig right in here. Introduction of this book. Uh, you give us a little formula here, C equals delta. <laughs> and uh, the constant is change. And you give us four examples of change in in our world, the digital sphere, the geopolitical world, business world, the career planning world. Help us understand uh, why we struggle with change so much and why you feel that it's so important for us to get a hold of control, influence, and accept. Well, change is something everybody has to deal with every day. I think what we don't appreciate about it very much is that it's so unsettling. 
Mm. We're walking along and suddenly if the street begins to move beneath us, we're going to freak out in a big way. <laughs> As happened in Iceland last night, a big eruption there. Mm -hmm. So change can be inherently unsettling for us. Because of that, I think most of us kind of enjoy clinging to what was comfortable and where we are. Problem with that is we don't ever grow. If I'm on one side of that fissure when it begins to occur, and I say, I can't move because this is where I live, and the fissure begins coming toward me and I fall into it, I realize I should have changed. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I just didn't. So I think change is one of the things that is going to hopefully provide opportunity as well as, as threat, mm -hmm. just to do a SWOT analysis of any kind of change. And when we do that, we end up hopefully with an attitude that says, this could be an opportunity for me to grow. It could be something a little bit better for me. As far as the rate of change, I think it's two things that work there. One is the absolute rate of change. The other thing is our awareness of that rate. Because of communications, people know what's going on instantaneously around the world. Uh, back in 1865, when the Civil War ended, it was months before everybody had the word the Civil War ended. Many battles continued long after the war had officially ended. Well, today we know it within a minute's notice what's happening in Gaza. We know in a minute's notice what's happening in Ukraine. So it's not just the rate of change, it's our awareness of it that almost seems to double accelerative effect on that. So let's talk about how we get there. Um, you know, the book is entitled Control, Influence, Accept, um, CIA for now, um, coping with the future no one can predict. So let's dig into control, chapter one. Uh, actually, the chapter is called CIAFN. And... Uh, Let's talk about control, because I think it's interesting that uh, I think often, you know, when I work with athletes and, you know, when I work with a number of people as a coach, uh, I, I get the sense that people feel like there's very little that they can actually control. And I, and I know there are some things that they control. And, and so let's talk about what you really can control. And let's dig through that, because I think it's really important that people get a handle on you do have things that you are within your power. Completely true. And you and I can have a good chat on one of those really important <laughs> ones, which is controlling our attitude. Sure. And I look forward to that conversation, Jay. Okay. Um, to, to me, the whole notion of the CIA FN is to make some sense out of the waterfall of things that happen every day in our lives. And I use the illustration of waterfall very specifically because it's, it's nothing we can stop. It can't stop a waterfall. It's going to hit us really hard. But imagine that there's a diverter at the bottom of this waterfall, switching the water into one of three different channels. One of the channels that it shifts into are things we can totally control. It's not going to be the biggest bucket by any means, but without that bucket, we're going to be in real trouble. Yeah. Example of the things we can control is what time we get up in the morning. Not at what time we get up, but how we get up. You know, I heard a speaker one time said, you have a choice in the morning. You can wake up and say, good morning, Lord. Or you can say, good Lord, it's morning. <laughs> it has a lot to do with how we treat the, the day. Control what we eat, how much we eat, what we drink, how much we drink. Control things we say to other people, of course. But if ever we try to control what they say to us through manipulation or management of that person, it's always kind of short-lived. It doesn't hang in there very long. Mm. In terms of the attitude part, I'd love for you to share with me, because you, you and I shared offline mm. that you've taught for years you can control your attitude. I did the same thing for a long time and reached a different conclusion. Yeah, so let's let's have a chat. About that. Yeah, let's have a chat about that because I think it's really I think it's fascinating, and I, I'm I'm not sure if it's if we're talking semantics here or perhaps jargon because it may be that we're saying the same thing, but perhaps. Go ahead. But it, I think it could be semantics. Well, here's here's my thing on attitude, uh, and I've been I've been a big researcher on attitude. Uh, you know, going back to 1958 when the attitude uh, research really kind of got kicked off a little bit it was probably back then, and. One of the things that I recognize and, and believe is that our at, we control our attitude. We have a choice of attitude. So you, you were giving me the example, for instance, of you were in a you got rear-ended, and this mm -hmm. is when you kind of had your 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 view of it. And a year and four days ago, my wife and I got rear-ended, and it's interesting because I, I thought about this that this happened, and. I remember, I remember getting hit and I asked people, what do you think my response was? And the, the truth is my response was compassion. Cause the first thing I did was I asked my wife, are you okay? And then the second thing is I checked myself for you. Okay. And then I quickly got out of the car and I went to the, the driver who was a young lady in her twenties and she was, and I said, are you okay? And she was sobbing and she was crying. And she said, 
I can't believe I did this. I'm so sorry. And I said, wait, wait, wait. I said, I said, don't worry. This is stuff. This is stuff. And I, I live by a rule called, the, my wife and I live by a rule called the 100% rule. I'm 100% responsible for what I say. I'm 100% responsible for what I do. But I'm 100% responsible for how I respond to anything you say or do to me. And when I say that I control my attitude, um, what I'm saying here is I control, I choose how I'm going to respond. We, my wife and I and I were in, flew into uh, Israel on October 7th. And we spent three days as the war started. I had a choice in my attitude of how we were going to go about our three days. Now, we were supposed to be there for 20. <laughs> it didn't wind up 20. Um, but while we were there, we had made the decision that our attitude was we're going to enjoy it. Even though we were listening to missile fire, you know, mm-hmm. every day, we made the choice that we enjoyed. So we took walks around. We went a little, did a little shopping. We had some friends who were there from New Jersey, happened to be there. They lived in Tel Aviv. And so we walked Tel Aviv for several miles, going through the markets and doing everything because we, we decided that our attitude was going to be we're going to enjoy it. Right. Mm-hmm. And that was our, that was our, um, that was what we believed to do. And I, I am a firm believer, and I know it's true that I can, bad circumstances can happen, but I choose how I want to respond to that. And that's my mm-hmm. attitude. So, okay, so that's enough. I, I've got more, but let's just keep it there. Let's, I'd love, let's hear what you got here. Go ahead. I think it's a brilliant example. And thank you for going over there. Just you, you being there made a big support to some people, whether you know it or not. Oh. My wife and I had a similar experience. We, we went to the border with Poland and Ukraine about a month after the attack began. Mm. And we spent a day with some wonderful young people helping refugees. And seeing it from a distance and being right there are two completely different experiences. Absolutely. Absolutely. And our immediate reaction when that all happened is we got to do something. I don't know what we can do. We can do something. And we felt like personal impact on these refugee families was the best thing we could do. Mm -hmm. So it was an amazing thing. I think we're actually totally talking semantics here. You and I are on the same page with this. Okay. It's just that when, when things happen that get us discouraged and get us frustrated where we can't move and you're much farther developed emotionally than, than many of us are, Jay, the question is what's the toolkit we can pull out to deal with that at that moment? The toolkit is going to be things we can control. And that's things that we can control are ultimately going to affect our attitude. I had a wonderful neighbor for many years, passed away last summer. He was the number one pilot in all of Delta Airlines system in terms of seniority. Calm, wonderful guy. And as a pilot, he would tell you that the attitude of a plane is the direction of the, of the plane, the wings lean in relation to the horizon. We as individuals can control its direction. We lean, we can lean into a tough situation. We can lean away from it. That is another way to look at attitude. And I think we can control that. Controls of the plane is gonna determine our attitude very much the same way. You look at great sports figures and you've studied sports figures for a long time. Most of them have mannerisms that are very unique to them. Uh, when I was growing up, I was a big Boston Celtics fan. I still am. I got such a kick out of watching this player named Don Nelson because at the free throw line, he would always throw that ball just a certain way, exact certain way each time. Uh, great player Henry Bibby would stand off to the side. Uh, you've got these amazing players. Rick Barry would do underhanded free throws all the time. But this is stuff that they felt like made them feel more confident, more confident, more relaxed. So these are controllable things that then have an impact on one's attitude. So I think if we can just figure out what those few basic things are that we can control, when the upsetting things happen, and you and I can have a great conversation, because I'm sure at least one time in your life you got upset about something. Oh, oh, it just took years. (laughs) (laughs) How can we keep it from paralyzing us? How can we move forward in, in life? And as I've talked to so many people that have dealt with much worse situations than I've ever dealt with before, They'll always say, okay, first thing I got to do is realize what can I, what, what are my assets? What are, what are the cards I'm holding? I don't have very many cards. What am I holding? What can I do with these cards? That's the control part of this thing. And if we control those things well, we can influence our attitude, even if we're in a bad mood, even if things aren't going the way they should be, even if we're really scared to death. So the control is like a direct thing, influence of things that are indirect. For example, other people's attitudes. We'd all love to be able to wave a magic wand, have everybody love us and think everything's great. We know that's never going to happen. But if I can do the right things in my own behavior, my own approach to life, it'll be much more magnetic and much more appealing to other people. 
instead of me feeling like I need to control these people. How can I manipulate them? How can I dazzle them with, with whatever? It's interesting. You and I both love books so much. Uh, the titles of books are interesting. There's a current bestseller called something like how to enchant anyone into liking you. <laughs> I've heard of the book. <laughs> <laughs> this really appeals to the Harry Potter crowd out there. I want to enchant you. <laughs> the reality is we can get somebody to, to have a temporarily good impression of us, but people are pretty smart and eventually that wears thin. Mm. Consistency in the long run is what builds relationships. Yeah. Am I the same person that was yesterday for the most part? Few flaws, yeah, but that consistency is really important. So that's where the control and the influence kick in. And the accept part, of course, is just so many things in this world we can't, can't do anything about. But think about how much of our energy we expend on those things. I think about the political sector. I, I work a lot of young people that say, is politics worse now than it's ever been? I said, no, politics has been bad since Cain and Abel, you know, whatever. <laughs> There's never been a good time in politics. But the reality is I can't really do anything about what's happening in New Hampshire. I can't do anything about what's happening in Iowa in these debates. But I can accept for now that I can't do anything about that and I can focus on my own approach to it. So this is the whole deal is keep ourselves from getting consumed emotionally in things that right now we have to just put on the shelf, concentrate what we can control, we can influence. That's how we can make a world changing difference. His name is Dan Moore. Uh, the book is entitled Control, Influence, Accept, CIA, FN for now. Uh, FN. FN. Uh, coping with the future no one can predict. Uh, we're just getting really started in this first segment. You're listening to him here on A New Direction. Hey, folks, uh, whether you're recovering from an injury or surgery, suffering everyday aches and pains, having difficulty performing activities of daily living, maybe you're an athlete and you just want to look uh, and to improve of how you feel and move, listen, the elite team at Epic Physical Therapy will customize a treatment plan tailored just for you. So when you're ready for your Epic Relief, Epic Recovery, Epic Results, don't look any further. Go to EpicPT.com. That's E-P-I-C. PT.com and Linda Craft Team Realtors for going on 39 years now. They have been helping people uh, transition in life. And you go, well, how does how do they do that? I thought they were in real estate. Well, the truth of the matter is every place you've ever lived has been a life transition. Uh, you can just ask Dan. He'll tell you when he was in Arizona and he, he had a life transition. He's lived in some great places and they were all different transitions in life. And, the, and they know how to take the stress out of that move, whatever that move, selling your home, buying your next home. They've been doing it for 39 years. They would love to help you transition in life too. So when you're ready to make that transition, don't look any further. Go to lindacraft.com. It's L-I-N-D-A-C-R-A-F-T.com. And we're back here on A New Direction uh, with Dan Moore. The book, uh, Control, Influence, Accept, C-I-A-F-N, for now. Uh, coping with a future no one can predict. Um, Dan, let's, let's, let's jump out of chapter one. I want to get to chapter two because it's so important. I'm reminded of research. I bring her name up, Dr. Tasha Yurik. I bring it up all the time. She did so much research on self-awareness, and she found that interviewing people, 90% of the people believe that they're self-aware. However, when she put them through a further testing that she did, she found out that literally on their best day, only 15% are really self-aware. And self-awareness is a huge issue because I feel like we are terribly self-unaware and you ask a question right out of the box. Do we even know who we are? I think it's a mm -hmm. great question. You ask that question. Help us dig into a little bit further into self-awareness and who are we? One thing for sure, wherever we go, there we are. <laughs> and, and I didn't come up with that great quote, but it's fantastic summation of life. Where we go, there we are. Right. And if we're self-aware, meaning we understand our strengths, our weaknesses, our proclivities, our likes, our dislikes, our quirks, our weirdness, our, our joyousness, our loveliness, we're gonna be so much better able to deal with all the crazy stuff that might occur to us out there in the world. Mm. Self-awareness to me means being honest in our self-assessment. You, you started the show by saying there's four different categories people need to grade themselves on scale one to 10. I completely concur. In fact, very interesting. Each morning when I start my exercise routine, before my brain even begins thinking, I have four things I'm thankful for. One is physical strength, one is emotional strength, one is mental, one is spiritual. Exactly the four categories you mentioned there. Self-awareness in, in each one of us means we can rate ourselves in those areas, rate ourselves in different growth trajectories we might get into, and just simply realize I'm gonna make mistakes. Can I learn from those mistakes? When I do something well, can I build myself up 
properly and appropriately and give myself some credit for that stuff. Too many people, I think, in self-awareness only are aware of their faults or only aware of their great victories. We're all a mixed bag. We've got to take a little bit of each. I think self-awareness is also important because those around us are going to go through issues. If we know how we've reacted to some of those, we may decide I'm not at all like this person, but maybe I'm a little bit. I can become more empathetic because of that. So most of us don't give a whole lot of thought to that. Interesting, that study that uh, most people are not self-aware, even though they think they are. Mm. I think we're all that way until we get into a situation and we say, why did I react that way? I can't believe I said, I can't believe I did that. Mm. Those are the opportunities to grow. That's when we need to assess. Any of the moments like I did that dumb bonehead thing. Why did I do that? <laughs> or I did this great thing. Do I need to discount and say it was a one-off as total luck? Or do I need to spend some time and say, no, no, Dan, here's why that worked for you. Mm. So I can rebuild on that more and more. I, I want to tell people about that inside this book, Dan, that you've written it. And it's a great book, by the way. Um, that at the end, and sometimes, at the, yeah, right at the end, pretty much at the end of each chapter, Dan gives you ideas on how to help you, actually things that you can work on to help you get through this particular area that he's talking about. So regardless of the area that he's talking about. So in this case, we're talking about self-awareness. So I just want to give people an idea, Dan, if you don't mind. And if you want to elaborate on any of these, it's great. So Dan has six ideas of how do we get better at self-awareness and what do we do with that information? So here's like the first one, become an, an, an intentional observer of yourself, be both the researcher and lab rat. Do you want to tell, explain people what you mean by that when you say be then intent, become an intentional observer of yourself, be both researcher and lab rat? Well, we all are familiar with the old idea of lab rats, the ones that perform these different experiments and the researchers taking notes and watching their reactions. With ourselves, we're the one doing the action, we're the lab rat. And if we can be smart enough to be objective and occasionally take notes about ourselves, then we're the observer. Mm. And every single day, there's an opportunity for us to, to experience something perhaps a little different, a little new. We can learn something better and deeper about ourselves. Mm. So to me, that's one of the most important ones is spend a little bit of time in self-reflection, but not so much that we go down this rabbit hole of despair. Because mm. most of us, I think, list off our faults more than our successes, sure. our failures more than our victories spend too much time in that kind of self-assessment, then we end up with all kinds of negatives. It's more a matter of learning a little bit as we go, getting a little bit better at that as we move along. Yeah, because you even move on into these six, and I'll just throw out this one, study study and own your success. And you make a real big point about that. That's real. And I believe, by the way, you and I are in, in such agreement here on all of these because we, you, because you followed that up with learn from your mistakes and setbacks but we don't spend very much time studying our own success, study and mm -hmm. owning our own success. And I think that's critically important. And then you, you, you say here, one is, you know, why ask why, you know, think mm -hmm. about what that, why, why that may be the case, but why ask why, but talk about the objective observer and ask the objective observer for help, because I don't think we understand why that piece may be so important to helping us with our self-awareness. Well, anybody that's ever had a good coach or a bad coach knows what it feels like to be observed. <laughs> a good coach is objective in that they give us a baseline that says, here's things you're doing well, here's how you can get better, here's how you can build those things. I may think, well, I'm already great at that, but a good coach will say, well, actually, you're, you really suck at that. You're not good at that at all. <laughs> Let me show you why. And a good coach will do it in a way that builds our confidence, builds our, our ability to get better at that. So to me, that's what this whole notion of, of this is about, is study these successes, study them well, know what they're about. But somebody that's more objective than us on the outside needs to be a part of that. Mm. I recommend avoiding people that, that we love and that love us, because as much as we hope they're going to be fully objective, they really can't be. Mm. can be really close to it, but we need to have people that care about us in a different way, mm. which is why a good mentor at work, a good uh, colleague outside of work, a dear friend, could be a former coach even, you know, my public speaking career really started when I was in high school. My coach was a man named Paul Black and he coached me and my partner where we won the state debate championship. And it was just a major thing for me. Paul Black is over 90 years old today. Mm. And I have been able to tell him the impact he's had on me. And so these coaching impact are so powerful. He totally took apart my speaking style, and put it back together for me. I thought I was perfect. Mm. <laughs> That's where you need a good coach mm -hmm. and the objective third party that cares enough about you to spend enough time investing in you without any necessarily personal gain is really key. 
I could not agree more. I remember writing my first book and I wrote a 360 page manuscript and they made me get rid of it and start over. <laughs> my, my book, Frustrating. My, my, my first book that I wrote and uh, I remember, but it was the best thing that ever happened to me mm-hmm. because they made me reorganize it and they made me rethink it and they made me be more clear. And people don't understand how important that objective observer really, really is. Um, moving to chapter three, which is people knowledge. And I, I just would, I, you know, I just want to get your thoughts on this because I, I think I know them pretty clearly. How poor do you think we really are when it comes to understanding other people or how good do you think we really are? Maybe that's a better way to phrase it. Hmm. I'm going to reserve the right time to try to answer that question because it's so situational. Yeah. It's... I think some individuals are incredibly aware of others. They almost have a sixth sense of empathy. They can walk into a room and feel when something's not right. Mm. Other people are about as sensitive as a brick. <laughs> and, and, and you have to hit them with one to get them to realize something. And having been on both sides of that continuum over the years, I know it's going to be really frustrating. So understanding people, I think, first of all, starts with caring enough about them mm. to realize I could learn from them. They could learn from me. They're special human beings. Just like your reaction when you got rear-ended, it was compassion. Mm. Young lady driving the car. Mm. Just made me feel really bad about how I treated the poor guy that hit me. But the whole point of it is we learn from these experiences with other people. And by watching them, having the right motive for getting better at dealing with them, we can help move forward. Mm. Now, some great people that understand human nature use it to for, for evil, mm. unfortunately. Some of the mm. worst characters in history understood human nature so well they could motivate people to do unspeakably horrible things. Mm. But the reason our societies even survive today is because enough other people that use their awareness of human nature to lead us in a better way. Mm. So I think we, we have an obligation to understand people if we want to have any kind of impact or have a place in the world. And it means getting away from people we, we're familiar with, people who even spend time with people we don't like, can't even stand, mm. so we can understand them better, where they're coming from. Mm. Yeah, I, I think there's, here's the thing about studying human nature, in my opinion, and that is, I think, I think we sometimes study enough to make a judgment and oftentimes a poor judgment Mm -hmm. and if we were able to go a little bit deeper we would start to see the humanity of other people and that they are quite the same as we are and that we are all similar creations and uh, i oftentimes think we stop short of really digging deep enough when it comes to understanding others um because I feel like if we would go that next level, we in fact would reduce so many of our biases and prejudices if we were willing mm-hmm. to go further. That's just that's just my thought process on it. Um, it takes you know, a long, long time to get to that point, though, and you have to be patient. You have to yeah. have no real end result except getting to know that person, which is so key. It's a yeah. great song from my era, and you're, you're a little bit younger than me, but the song was called Reach Out in the Darkness. Oh, yeah. and one, of the, one, of the, one of the lines in there, she said, there was a man that I did not care for. And then one day we sat and talked about things on our minds. And now this man is a friend of mine. And that's really what it's about, spending the time to sit and talk about things on our minds, accept what the other person says, not agree with it necessarily, just accept this is how this person is. And we can become much closer to them. We can become a support to them. And in return, we feel like we're a little bit more connected to the fabric of humanity. I love your... Uh, how do we gain more knowledge, people knowledge, uh, actions that we should take? Here's my favorite one. There's, I hate to say favorite because they're all so good. Turn off your devices for a while. <laughs> That's so, we just have, we just have a hard time turning off these things. You know, we, mm-hmm. we really do. We have such a difficult time with it. And I wonder how many relationships we've missed out on because we didn't turn them off. Mm-hmm. Trying to make an online relationship that just is not going to have all that much, isn't going to really matter as much. Do you, do you know what I mean? I say that. Yeah. I think there's great value in these devices, of course. Yeah, yeah. And particularly for, for people trying to meet somebody, perhaps to become a future life partner with them really hard to meet people mm. after we get past college age and we maybe in a work environment where there's not as many eligible folks there it can be a really important link if it's the right one and done with the right motives 
but you don't marry somebody on the basis of something you learned online. Mm. You got to meet them face to face and spend that time with them. Yeah. Yeah, you do. Because you're not going to spend your life. I, I, I mean, I've been married, you know, my wife and I've been married 25 years and you know, I don't spend my life with her online. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't. I spend with her. I got to say, Jay, the first 35 years are the hardest, so hang in there. <laughs> oh, we've had awesome. It's been awesome. Um, she's been great. Um, so easy uh, to live with. Yeah, here's some other things that um, Dan recommends. Spend time with people that are not in your group. Um, do the someone you know exercise. Check with somebody in the military. Talk to them. Disability. Somebody with a disability. Talk to somebody who's highly successful. Talk to someone who's had experience setbacks. Uh, talk to someone who has an opposing opinion than you. A strong one. Learn their under story and understand the reasoning. I, I just think those are great, Dan. I, I think they're, I think they're just awesome things for us to do. So thank you for putting those down. Let's let's move to chapter four. I like chapter love chapter. There's not a chapter I didn't like here. Uh, mental and emotional flexibility. Mm-hmm. And uh, and you define it as the proficiency that is extremely important to develop. But let's define it as both skill and speed and letting go of a preconceived idea when we see the reality is different. And I the, mm-hmm. the first word that comes to my mind is adaptability. You know how adaptable mm-hmm. are we? Uh, talk to us a little bit more about the importance of emotional flexibility and especially in the face of rapid change. More important than ever. It's so important because we can never really truly depend on something being the same today as it was yesterday. Mm-hmm. Think about every sure thing investment you've ever made and then something <laughs> changed and the sure thing wasn't as sure anymore. This is true in the investing sense. It can be true in, in business and in organizations of all kinds. It can also be true in our daily lives. We make a plan to do something and the plan gets interrupted. Do we get so frustrated about it? We blow the opportunity to do anything else that might be more fun. So there's simple and there's really complex examples of this inflexibility. Uh, many businesses went down the drain because they didn't have the ability to, to see that things could be and should be different. Mm. So when I do this presentation live, I use a stick figure, a human figure. One arm is mental emotional flexibility. The other arm is resilience, and that's how do we adapt. So one is an attitude, the other is a reaction to that. And that resiliency, that one more bounce than I get knocked down, one more stand up than I get slapped down, that resilience is a mark of, of successful people and world changes, regardless of what field they're in. It's really an important aspect. But if we're not willing to be flexible on something, we can we can actually die trying to hang on to our opinion, even when we should let go of it. Mm. I do make a pretty strong point, though, that some things we should never be flexible about. And these are our most important values. Mm-hmm. Truth that we believe is an absolute truth. That's not the time to be flexible. That's the time to lock in and use every skill we have to, to stay true to that value. But almost everything else is going to change so darn fast. I don't know. I don't know how we can get, get by if we don't have that. Right. You're listening to Dan Moore here, uh, his book, Control, Influence, Accept, CIA, Coping with the Future No One Can Predict by Dan Moore. You're listening to him here on A New Direction. Hey, folks, uh, listen, uh, Epic Physical Therapy, my physical therapist, and I think they should be yours too, by the way, uh, They their facility offers the most advanced top-of-the-line equipment. Uh, including the Alter G anti-gravity treadmill, the Normatec compression sleeves, Game Ready, that's just a few. The train is certified in the most comprehensive cutting-edge treatments available, including blood flow restriction ther- therapy, dry needling, cupping, and that's just a few. Listen, when you're ready to make it, to have epic relief, epic recovery, or epic results, don't look any further. Go to epicpt.com. That's E-P-I-C-P-T.com. And Linda Craft Team Realtors for more than 38 years, actually going on the 39th year. Uh, they, they are known as legends of customer service. Fact of the matter is, her first clients from 1985 still show up. See her today. That's right, since 1985, still seeing her today. You know, it says something that her clients keep coming back and they keep saying, you know what? She's when it comes to customer service, there's no one who does it better. When you're ready to sell your home, buy your home. Don't look any further. Look for somebody who's going to take care of you, who's going to help you with your transition, who understands. She's helped thousands of people. She can help you. Go to lindacraft.com. That's L-I-N-D-A-C-R-A-F-T dot com. And we're back here on a new direction. Why don't we do this? Why don't we just alter the question a little bit? Why is the flexibility, why is that flexibility so important? And then you were already connecting it to resilience. And I'm I'm a firm believer that resilience is one of those muscles that we we just have to work on. And and so why don't you connect those up? Talk about the importance of those and 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 pull it all together in our changing world. 
Well, I'll just see if I can pull it all together because I still haven't fully got that done myself. I'll do the best <laughs> <we can. laughs> uh, so make it make it as simple as I can. If we're in a situation we expect things to go a certain way, here's an everyday example. We check the weather forecast, right? Mm-hmm. Planning our events for Christmas Day. The weather forecast says it's going to be 60 degrees and sunny. So maybe we planned an outdoor outing after that. Chris will go for a nice walk. Forecast is almost never exactly right. All of a sudden it starts raining. We have a choice at that moment. We can either say, I can't believe it's raining. It's not supposed to be raining. It's not supposed to be raining. The forecast also isn't, and totally blow the opportunity. Or we could say, anybody get a raincoat for Christmas? Anybody get an umbrella for Christmas? This is the resiliency part. No reason we can't continue the walk. We just have to wear different clothing. Mm. So this almost instantaneous resiliency reaction to when things aren't the way we expect them to be mm. is something we can get better and better at. We can learn to get there really hurriedly. If we think, cling too strongly to things the way we thought they were going to be, we're never going to get past that. We're just going to end up frustrated. So I think resilience, bouncing back, is such a critical trait in life, which is why parents and grandparents need to help their little kiddos learn that failure is okay. You're going to fail sometimes. It's never fatal. And failure is how you grow. And too many parents, I think, shield their kids from any chance to fail because they think it's somehow bad or stigmatize the parents of being bad parents. But the reality is kids need to learn they can skin their knee a scab will form, a scab is nature's band-aid. They may have a nice scar later on to remind themselves, don't do it exactly that way again, kiddo. But without that ability to bounce back, no kid would ever ever do anything after that. They'd want to get in the, be the boy in the bubble and never leave their home. Mm-hmm. So these traits, I think, are so key for whatever we're going to do in life. And that's I think that that's such a valuable thing for us to work on. You know, on page 96 of the book, you say flexibility is an attitude and everything begins with attitude. Resilience is action-based. And I and I love that quote, by the way, of the book. I've got it highlighted in green and blue and yellow and every other color that I can think of. But then right underneath that, you say re- resilience is not age-dependent. Help, help those of us who, uh, because I've got listeners at all age groups, help under- people understand about resilience not being age-dependent. It goes on both ends of the age spectrum, I think, Jay. For example, let's suppose that I've, I've got a young person I'm aware of. There's maybe a teenager, maybe 13-year-old. And they feel like, I don't have enough experience to react to anything correctly. So I'm just going to have to sit here and wait. I'm just going to get frustrated with my life. A 13-year-old can learn a great deal just by asking good questions, by observing people around them, by having a good mentor, a good coach, a good teacher that they can talk to. So there's no reason a young person needs to feel like they can't ever be resilient or bounce back. On the other end of the spectrum, you got people that are in their 80s, 90s, some even older than that, still thriving, still growing, still making things happen in great ways. And if they choose to decide that they're not going to just be an old person, I can't do anything, it's amazing what they can do. Here's a couple of specific examples. There's a young lady, she's probably about 16 now, but when she was nine years old, she hit on the idea that people in the homeless shelter didn't give them any fresh vegetables. So she grew some cabbages, carried them down and donated them. They said, thank you, we love fresh vegetables. The next year she grew even more, then she got her neighbors involved in it. She's now created a network of nonprofits of people growing vegetables and delivering to homeless shelters so people can have fresh vegetables. Mm. Found her purpose when she's nine years old. Another example is one of my favorite role models, a man named Fauja Singh. Fauja was the first man ever to run a full marathon at the age of 100. Mm. 100, he was in Toronto at the marathon that he did in less than eight hours, which Mm. is a very fast time considering 100 years old. He didn't start running till he was in his mid 80s. He in, in his 60s, one of his sons died prematurely. And of course, that's going to affect anybody. He went into a depression that lasted for years. But in his mid 80s, somebody said, Fauci, you got to get out of the house. Let's go for a walk. That walk led to another walk to another walk. And then he began to jog a bit. Then somebody said, you, you're a pretty good runner now, Fauci. You should join a race. He had no idea what to wear to a race. So he showed up his first 5K in England in a three-piece suit and a necktie and his running shoes. He didn't know what you're supposed to wear to a race. And he won his age group. He holds almost every age group record now for people 100 years and up. Mm. He ran his final marathon at the age of 104. And now he's just a mentor and coach to people. Mm. One of his great quotes, I love it. He said, I don't stress no one ever died of too much happiness. Mm. Yeah. But if you think about it, he found his purpose in his mid 80s. So that's why I don't think it's, it's age dependent at all. If we're willing to have the attitude that says, I can adjust, I can adjust, I can adjust, we can do that well. 
that that starts to push me through to chapter eight, which is constructive self-talk. And I I almost want to say, I almost wanted to change the title to destructive or constructive self-talk because I feel mm. both are true. That oftentimes the things that we say to ourselves are can either be destructive or constructive. And I know that in my past, I've been guilty about poor self-talk. Talk about, for a self-image, self-talk, potential and achievement. Well, it's interesting. Hardly anybody will ever succeed beyond their ability to see themselves succeeding. Most of us have this self-imposed limiter on us. If, for example, just in terms of income, we feel like nobody in my family has ever made more than X amount, there's no way I can ever make more than X amount. I just need to learn to get by on that. Then they're never going to not going to transcend that at all because it's just locked into them. They've become part of their self-image. Self-image determines a lot of the way we behave. We behave in ways we're comfortable. We behave in ways that we know are going to be like us. Otherwise, we feel a little bit not at all like ourselves. One of the ways we can impact self-image is through constructive self-talk, catching ourselves doing things right not passing them off as an accident or one-off, but catching ourselves doing something right, spending time to analyze that in a good way. And I very carefully use the phrase constructive self-talk instead of positive self-talk, because for many years, I, I would also teach people, you gotta be positive all the time, positive all the time. But if people are positive all the time, they're gonna miss the fact that some things are just not positive. There's nothing positive in certain situations. But we can be constructive always in moving things forward as opposed to destructive. And I completely agree with you. It can either be destructive, it can pull us down, make us less capable, or constructive, it can build us up and make us more capable. So to me, self-talk is one of the most important tools we can all control. This is the C in, in the title of the book, Control, to influence our self-image. And so if we can work on our self-talk, make it constructive, self-image is gonna to react to it in positive ways eventually, in constructive good ways. And, 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 and you know, the thing, Dan, that's so interesting to me, and I've said this to clients before, and even groups that I've spoken before, would you say to your best friends the things that you say to yourself? Mm -hmm. and Great often, question. And oftentimes I get, no, I would never say that. So then why aren't you, on, then my next question is, why aren't you on your own best friend? Mm-hmm. Because I think I think often what happens is we don't realize how destructive our own words are towards myself. I can't. I'm incapable. It's not possible. I'm and we use absolutes like right. I always and I never. Right. These absolutes are very powerful. Right. So trying to just chip away at those absolutes can help us move forward also. Right. The word I think you throw out the word. I love the word yet. Right, mm -hmm. I'm unable to do this yet. Yes. Right, and and you throw it out, and and I think somebody else I can't remember who did it uh, threw out the word and, right, and yeah, instead of but, right, mm -hmm. and. Uh, I actually have somebody who wrote in. Uh, Bob has written in from LinkedIn, who's watching the show, and he would like to ask you to expand on the power of yet. So, would you be willing okay. to do that, please? Yes. It's actually in the context on, on self-talk where we many times we're confronted with a situation we say, I can't do that. I can't do that. That's a showstopper. And it tells our self-image, if you can't do that, don't even try. You can't do it. It's a waste of time to try. So I encourage us to, to change and say, I think I can do that. I just don't know how yet. Mm. I think I can do that. I just don't know how yet. Because that opens up the creativity part of the brain. You spoke earlier in the show about left brain, right brain. Mm -hmm. The brain can be incredibly creative or it can be incredibly dumb. And if we tell it to be dumb, it's going to be dumb. Tell it to give it a chance to be creative, it can come up with some amazing things. And sometimes people say they're not creative at all, but that's simply not true. Everybody's creative if they give themselves a chance to be. Mm -hmm. So that little phrase, I think I can do that, I just don't know how yet, unlocks a lot of that creativity. It gives us so much more belief in almost everything. It can be anything from foods we've never tried to learning a language to going someplace we've never been before to dealing with a certain kind of person. Anytime we say, I can't do that, we're right. Mm. Yeah, and and here's the thing. I, I would I would say when you're putting this into practice, it goes back to chapter two on self-awareness. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> you have to be self-aware enough to go, oh, man, I just said I can't yet. I have to add yet to that, <laughs> right? You have to be, so you're going to have to practice some self-awareness here. So uh, when you, I, 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 and by the way, that was a just in thing. As I'm listening to you talk, I was like going, wow, well, that means I got to be self more self-aware that I'm say, even saying that. You know, yeah. so, so it's it's really interesting how these are all connected. Um, I want to finish up, if you don't mind, here to chapter ten and talk about purpose. Uh, this is an sure. this is an area that I love digging into, and I've spoken about um, for years. And you ask the question to the reader: Is there really a purpose for each of our lives? Help us understand. And what you're talking about purpose, talking about purpose. and help people kind of work yeah. through purpose because this purpose. is such a big topic, a big topic and it's very difficult for people very to sometimes wrap their minds around it's a huge huge topic it's also a multi-billion dollar seminar topic <laughs> gurus in the woods of all kinds help people find their purpose to me it's just it's pretty simple you look around at people that are doing things with their lives having an impact on the world in some way, ideally a positive impact, they've got a sense when they wake up each day that there's a reason for them being on this earth. Simple as that. People that don't have much of an impact just realize, okay, I'm alive. I'm alive, but that's my deal. I'll try to do the best I can. And they never have that additional sense of excitement and a sense of discovery. Mm. You don't have to know what your purpose is in order to believe that maybe there's one out there. And what I've learned over the years watching people is that one way to do it is to sit on a rock and try to come up with your purpose. That can work sometimes. I don't think it works as well as simply being more observant as we live into each day, live into each day and the opportunities it brings. We may just wake up one day and say, my goodness, I'm doing the thing I'm supposed to be doing. I'm actually doing that thing I'm meant to be doing. I've known so many people that have had false starts where they tried something that wasn't right, tried something else, didn't work, didn't work, didn't work, didn't work. Finally, they just gave it up and got busy doing something and in the heart of that, they came up with something amazing. And that just means that they were living life the best way they could using all their capabilities, all their faculties. I don't know what anybody's purpose in life necessarily could be or should be, but I do know that people that believe there is one live differently than people who don't. Yeah, well, I do agree with you. And I believe that something that you say in this chapter is absolutely true. And that whatever your purpose is, it's going to be tied to your talents, gifting, and ability. Mm-hmm. And, and that somewhere, as you pointed out, there's been 117 billion people born on this planet. No two one of us are the same. Mm-hmm. Which points us to the idea that there's something uniquely beautiful about who we are. We are. Mm-hmm. Which means that there is something that, that, that we can do, can do that, will that will be meaningful to us and create a positive impact on the world. And that's the psychological definition of purpose. That mm-hmm. it's that it's meaningful to you and it's making a positive impact. I have found that in all the people I've ever worked with that there are three things that seem to point to that. And that is the talents, abilities, and gifts that you have and your affinities, your aptitudes, and your and what you're affirmed for. And there seems to be themes throughout that. Where it's not just necessarily one job, because I do four different things, but I am doing a purpose. I have my show, I do my coaching, I write books, and I speak. The whole idea is that I know that I've been put on this planet to help people find a new direction in their life or their career or their business and help them achieve greater leadership and success. Mm-hmm. I know that. I know that every morning I wake up. Brilliant. Right? But it has nothing, it really has nothing to do with my education. It has more to do with what I've been given naturally. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And we all have that. That's the thing. This isn't about an educational platform. It's it's not about, well, you, you, you went to school. No. It has to do with what your your natural talents and abilities are and gifting. 
I think you used the Calvin Coolidge quote, right? Was it Calvin Coolidge quote that you used? I mean, nothing in the world takes the place of persistence is the Calvin Coolidge quote in my book. Right, but he also talks about later on in that quote, right, that there is a lot of educated derelicts. Right? Educated derelicts, yeah. <laughs> right? Which tells us that it's not about that to find your purpose. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'd like it's to, really not. I'd love to hear more of your thoughts on it. Well, I'm a big fan of education. I've got a whole bunch of it. Yeah, I know me but too. But I also know many. <laughs> I know many people that that have no formal education at all that have been very impactful people in the world. Mm-hmm. One of the most impactful people in my life was my father-in-law. He was a farmer in in the Azores, Portugal, where he grew up, and in his day. Rarely did you go to school past the third grade, but that didn't stop him from becoming an important person in their community, from owning his own land, from being extremely skilled with numbers, figures, facts, dates, a terrific writer, tremendously sensitive human being. And you could say, well, this never would have happened for him uh, in today's times. That's not so. It's not about the education. It's who we are inside, what we choose to do with it. In today's times, a person that has no education at all can go get one. That's what's so great about it. There's free ways to get any course in the world, all online, sometimes community colleges, which are often free for anybody in that area, can learn whatever they want to learn. It should never be an excuse that I didn't have an education, therefore I couldn't do something. It could also never be a crutch to say, well, I have a great education, that's all I really need, huh? It's like, I heard that we're gonna go get joint MBA and JD degrees. We're gonna have an MBA and a law degree from Harvard at the same time. And I said to one of them, this is great. It means you'll never have to have a job. You can just live on your potential. <laughs> <laughs> and, they're, and they're terrific people. And they've done great things with that joint degree. So it's not about an education in a formal sense or not. But can we continue to learn? Can we continue to have an impact? Hmm. I can Im- imagine a subtitle on, on your tombstone someday, Jay, is going to say, here lies a great catalyst. Hmm. This person is a catalyst for people. Help them untrigger the things that are holding them back, you have to move forward. It's a tremendous thing to do in your life. And you're doing it really well. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, we've done we've done an hour. We've worked through it, but we've done an hour. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> that was awesome. We were emotionally and spiritually flexible, weren't we? We were we were great. Technologically too. And technologically too. Yeah, we, we covered it all. The digisphere, we covered it all. I think we did it all. You've been great. First of all, thank you. Uh, tell, if you don't mind, tell people how they can get a hold of you or where they can find your books and uh, those because this isn't the only one. So if you don't mind doing that, happily do that. Easiest way to reach me is just through an email, dmore at ciafn.com. Ciafn control influence except for now.com. The easiest way to reach me, dmore ciafn.com, and I'll get back to you as soon as I can. Awesome. The book's available wherever books are available, of course. Yeah. And what's really fun is the audiobook just came out. So for those of you that enjoy listening to my voice, you're going to love it. Those of you that don't enjoy listening to my voice, don't buy it. <laughs> but it's uh... a book. Terrifically fun. I really enjoyed it, Dan. I really have. Thanks, stay stay with too. me, will you please? Hey, folks, this is a show. You know what I say to you every week, right? Your control of three things, your attitude, your effort, and your resiliency. You know, the fact of the matter is life does present us with a lot of problems and life can present us with a lot of things that could set us back. But it's up to you that you could choose your attitude. You could choose to go today. I'm going to look at this differently. You can reframe it in a different way. You could take your effort, which is your excellence. How excellent do you want to be today? That's your choice. And then finally, your resiliency. We all get knocked down and there could be hands wanting to help you back up. But you decide ultimately if you want to get back up, take advantage of that because that's within your control. I'll be back next week with another great guest, and it's going to be another great book, which automatically means it's another great show. I say to you all over, listen, you had a lot of choices you chose us. I am so grateful that you do this. Give us a thumbs up on YouTube and a positive review wherever you listen to us. And as I say to you all over the world, you know what that is. Ciao. Things are going to change. You can find the strength to go a different way, yeah. The time has come. Your dreams will take you places you have never